Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you're visiting with us today, we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews. and We are in Hebrews chapter 12. Last week I preached on Hebrews 12 verses 12 and 13. This morning we're going to begin looking at verse 14, but I'm going to read 12 to 14 so we can see again the context in which this is given in the relationship of these verses. Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 14. Hear the word of God. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Well, as you know, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, these verses are in the larger context of an exhortation to run the race of the Christian life with endurance. But how? How do we run the race of the Christian life with endurance? Well, we've been seeing by laying aside encumbrances that would weigh us down in the race, by laying aside sin, by looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, considering Jesus. We see that at the beginning of chapter 12. And then in verses 5 to 11, we run the race with endurance by recalling the discipline of the Lord, not forgetting His loving motive and good and holy purposes in the life of His children. And this would strengthen the believer to persevere in the faith in Christ. We're not to drift away, as he says in chapter 2, verse 1, but we're to hold fast our confession in chapter 4, verse 14. We're not to fall away from the faith, Hebrews 3, 12. Instead, we're to continue in the faith. For to forsake faith in Jesus would be, as he says in chapter 10, verse 29, to trample underfoot the Son of God, to regard as unclean the blood of the new covenant, and to insult the spirit of grace. And so the writer's purpose has been to call Christians to persevere in faith as they look to Jesus, the gospel, and the new covenant in his blood. Don't forsake the faith, he says, but continue to trust in the one who is the fulfillment of all the old covenant types and shadows. Persevere, endure, Run the race with endurance that is set before us. Now, last week, again, we considered verses 12 and 13. Those verses are a vivid description of a weak, tired, exhausted runner who needs to be strengthened. He needs healing in order to run the race. And we saw last week how the written Word of God is able to give the kind of spiritual healing that limping hobbling Christians need in order to run the race and finish the race. Having been strengthened and healed to run the race, now the Christian is to use that newfound vitality to pursue something. So verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. With renewed strength from God through His Word, the believer is now commanded to pursue something. And the word pursue is a strong word which means to persistently and relentlessly chase after something. Although the hands were once drooping 
and the knees were once weak, the Christian is now refreshed to run the race by pursuing and chasing after peace and holiness. Now, it's very important, even in just understanding the context here in which these words are written in verse 14. There's a relationship between persevering and pursuing. We could entitle this morning's message, Persevering by Pursuing. There is a relationship between persevering and pursuing. There is a relationship between persevering in faith in Jesus Christ and pursuing peace with all men and pursuing holiness in relationship to God. We could say it this way. We don't persevere in the faith by passivity. We don't just sit sit back in activity. Instead, we pursue, we chase after those things which makes for perseverance in faith. And so perseverance in the faith requires actively, purposefully pursuing certain things. Again, this word, pursue, is important to understand. Pursue peace with all men. The word pursue here, the Greek word that's translated here in our English Bibles as pursue, dioko is the Greek. It means, again, to press forward, to run after, to seek after, to chase after. Again, it's a strong and emphatic word. The word is sometimes translated in our Bibles as persecute. In certain contexts, it has the negative idea of to chase after, to seek after someone in order to persecute them. So there you're chasing after something or someone for a negative or sinful purpose. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's the same Greek word that's used here for pursue peace. But there a negative connotation. Pray for those who chase after you, who are pursuing you, who persecute you. It's the word that's used in the book of Acts for Saul known after his conversion as the Apostle Paul, persecuting the church. And that persecution is described in this way in Acts 8 verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. He literally pursued Christians in order to harm them. That is to pursue something for sinful purposes. But of course... There is a righteous pursuing of something, a holy pursuit. And that's what verse 14 is speaking of, a holy pursuit. Here we chase after something that is good and righteous, namely peace with all men and the holiness in relationship to God. Now, to, to aid us in understanding this, we need to consider how this word is used in other places in the Bible for pursuing things that are holy. It will help us understand what I'm saying and why I'm saying it, that the Christian life is not lived in passivity, but it is an active pursuit of pursuing those things, chasing after those things that are the will of God. And it is by that means that we persevere in the faith. This word translated pursue in Hebrews 12 verse 14 is translated in this way in Philippians 3 verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. That's the same Greek word, but they're translated into English as press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that 
for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. And again, in Philippians 3, verse 14, he writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wasn't sitting back, standing still, certainly wasn't going backwards. He speaks of the Christian life as pressing on, as pressing forward, striving for something. Here he was pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This word is also used in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 10 it says this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, there's the word, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And so here we see the idea is that running away from some things, fleeing from certain things, materialism, love of money, and the griefs that those sins bring, and running toward, chasing after, actively pursuing other things that are holy, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, That is how we live the Christian life. This is how sanctification takes place. We run from some things and we pursue other things. We run from those things that are unholy. We flee from them. But we don't flee from something unless we're running to something. We run toward righteousness. We pursue those things that are in accordance with the will of God. We see it in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. When the Apostle Paul writes again, now flee from, what? Youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. And so there he says, you flee from youthful lusts. That's not passivity. You don't flee from something kind of haphazardly or passively. No, to flee from something implies that you're urgently running away from something. And in the same way, you don't passively pursue something. You purposely pursue something. You run from sin. You chase after holiness. Let me give you another example of how this word is used. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15. See see that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always, and here's the word again, translated here, seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And so here it's translated seek after. Again, pursue that which is good for one another and for all people. That's parallel to what it says in Hebrews 12 verse 14. Pursue, chase after, seek after peace with all men. Here, seek after, pursue that which is good for one another and for all people. And so you see, you're never idle in the Christian life. You're never in the same place. You're either pursuing the things of God or you're drifting away from them. You're either pressing toward the things that are God's will or you're falling away from them. And so herein we see the relationship between persevering and pursuing. If we are to persevere in the faith, we have to be pursuing. It requires pursuing certain things. Now, according to verse 14, what is it that we are to pursue and chase after? The answer is clear. Peace and holiness. Pursue peace with all men and, understood, pursue the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
And so this encompasses two spheres of relationships, the horizontal, all men, and the vertical, we might say, God. This encompasses our relationship to man, pursue peace with all men and with God, and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And he says, chase after these things, pursue them. Let this be your lifelong pursuit. And in this way, you'll persevere in faith. Of course, in this way, you'll fulfill the two great commandments, to love God and love your neighbor. This will set you on solid ground in the Christian life because you'll be pursuing those things that are the will of God. Now, let's narrow the focus even a little more to what's mentioned in the first part of verse 14. What we're going to do this morning is is talk about pursuing peace with all men. And we're also going to talk about that next week. Today we're going to talk about pursuing peace with believers, Christians. And next week, pursuing peace with unbelievers, those who are not Christians. And then we'll look at the second part of the verse of pursuing the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So the first part of the verse says pursue. Pursue what? Peace. With whom? With all men. We find similar commands throughout the Bible. Psalm 34, verse 14, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see, or they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 14, verse 19, So then, we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. So what we have here in Hebrews is really throughout the Scriptures. We're to pursue peace with all men. And so I said earlier that there's a relationship between persevering and pursuing. Perseverance in the faith requires actively pursuing certain things. Well, what in particular? Pursuing peace with others. Pursuing peace with others is necessary because our perseverance in the faith is affected by it. Said negatively, we could say it this way. A lack of pursuing peace with others can be a cause for stumbling in the Christian life and even falling away. There's a very real danger to the soul when there is a lack of peace and a lack of pursuing peace with others. Sometimes conflict, the lack of peace in relationships, is what begins to propel a Christian down a path that drifts away from God. The relationships that are meant to be a means by which we're strengthened in faith become a path to forsake the faith because we do not pursue peace. The relationships that God has providentially chosen to use for our good and for our sanctification, if we don't respond biblically and pursue peace, become a stumbling block. And so we must give attention to relationships. I mean, it goes without saying, but it's important to be reminded that relationships are vitally important in the Christian life. Again, the the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That is the primary relationship. And then the second great commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian life is really about 
pursuing relationships in accordance with what God has commanded, for He has created those relationships. And if we're not actively pursuing peace with all men, then it can be a cause for stumbling. Now, this doesn't mean that peace will always be achieved, but peace must be pursued. We need to know what the Bible says that that looks like. And we need to know how to wisely apply the truths of God's word to what it means to pursue peace. And when we pursue peace with all men, it will aid in our perseverance in the faith. Now, I believe it's important and helpful for us to simply answer the question, why is it necessary to pursue peace? Well, the simple answer is this. Pursuing peace with others is necessary because of I think you know the answer. Because of sin. The call here and throughout the Bible to pursue peace means that relationships are not free from sin. When sin entered into the world, a lack of peace in relationships immediately followed. Sin brought enmity, hostility, conflict, strife, a lack of peace. It brought enmity vertically with God and horizontally with other people. First, it brought enmity with God. Adam and Eve disobeyed a direct command of God, and now the fellowship they once had with Him, now there's enmity. Romans 8 verse 7 says this, The mindset on the flesh, that's a description of the consequences of sin. Now, instead of a mindset on the things of God and the Spirit of God, now there's a mindset on the flesh and those things that are sinful. It says the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. In Colossians 1 verse 21, it says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind. That's a description of our sinful fallen state. Alienated from God. Hostile toward God. Engaged in evil deeds, it says. Here's what salvation is. Yet, He, Christ, or God has reconciled you For Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Alienated, God in his mercy sends his son to reconcile us to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.18, God reconciled us to himself, how? Through Christ. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So sin brings enmity with God, but in God's mercy, He sends a Savior to reconcile us to Himself that by grace through faith in Christ, we are reconciled, we have peace. And now we're to pursue practical holiness. That's the second part of what we're to pursue. But sin also brought enmity among people, husband and wife, parents and children, sibling to sibling, neighbor to neighbor, and so on. Every relationship has been affected by sin. And we see that immediately after sin enters into the world in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, we find Cain murders his brother Abel. The Bible says, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. We see the consequences of sin immediately in relationships And in just a relatively short period of time, 
Strife, enmity, conflict, hatred, violence fills the earth. Genesis 6 verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. So now there's a lack of peace throughout the whole world and relationships and there's violence. The depravity of the human heart is clearly seen in this lack of peace among men. Jesus said this, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things that make for enmity in relationships. It comes from the heart because we are sinners. Romans 3 Verses 10 and 11 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. That is man's fallen, sinful state apart from God's grace and redeeming him. What is one way we see this sinful state of man's nature? Romans 3 goes on to say, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. So we see that when sin enters into the world, there's a lack of peace. And now in a fallen world, as those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus, now we're to pursue peace. So pursuing peace with others is necessary because of sin. Our sin and the sin of others. Don't be surprised when sin affects our relationships. We're sinners. What we need to know is what it looks like to pursue peace. We're not surprised that there's a lack of peace because of sin. But now how do we pursue peace with all men? We need to know what the Bible says about that. So the question is, well, then how do you seek peace with all men? Well, I'll simply emphasize what verse 14 of Hebrews 12 says. Simply put, pursue it. Now, again, that's elementary, you might say. Pursue it. Well, how do you do it? Well, you don't ignore it. You pursue it. We could say it this way. You shouldn't have peace. Until you're seeking peace. You should not have peace yourself unless you're seeking it and pursuing it with others. Inattention won't make it go away. Trying to, as we say, sweeping it under the rug won't make it go away. It will actually make it worse. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Intentiveness to that lack of peace won't make it go away. It needs to be priority. Pursue it. As James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. So how do you seek peace? Pursue it. Give attention to those relationships that have been affected by sin. Now, let me stop here and ask the simple question, in which relationships am I to pursue peace? Again, the verse is very clear. This is not difficult. We don't have difficulty interpreting it. Now, there's a question, pursue peace with whom? With all men. Well, believers or unbelievers? Yes. Pursue peace with all men, whether they're Christians or not. Pursue peace in the family. 
Husbands and wives, children and parents, brothers and sisters, pursue peace in the church among believers. How many have stumbled because of conflict in the church? It shouldn't be this way. We're to pursue peace with all men, even in the world as believers, even in relationship with those who do not know Christ as their Savior. You're still to pursue peace. Now again, that's next week. We'll talk about the specifics of how we pursue peace with unbelievers. The Scripture has much to say about that. But this morning, just draw your attention to seeking peace with those who are believers, those within the church. What makes for peace and what doesn't? Well, to answer that question, I want to answer it with Scripture. The Bible answers that question. So turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and let me answer the question. What makes for peace? If we're to pursue it, then what things make for peace and what things don't? The Bible is its own interpreter. We compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture alone is our authority. And it answers those questions. Colossians chapter 3. What makes for peace and what doesn't? Listen to these words of Colossians 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, why do I read those verses? That's talking about seeking Christ and things above. Well, because that's necessary. Again, in Hebrews 12, he says, you don't just seek peace with all men. No, you're seeking holiness. You're you're giving attention to your relationship with God as well. Here in Colossians, he is saying at the beginning of that chapter, seek after, it's not the word, same Greek word used for pursue, but it's similar. Seek after what? Things above where Christ is. You're, You're seeking the things of God as a Christian. And as a result of that, you're horizontal relationships will be affected. And so he goes on to say, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to what? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked, you lived in those things. Those things dominated your lives When you were living in them, he says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So see here he's talking about if you're going to pursue peace, then here's what you have to lay aside. You have to even repent of. You have to flee from. To pursue peace means fleeing from Other things, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, Uh, sexual immorality is a destruction to relationships. People think today, no, I commit these sins and it has nothing to do with anyone else. Yes, it does. We never sin in isolation. Immorality, impurity, and those things, you're always, listen, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. It's not making for peace. When you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you're looking upon someone else's wife. How is that making peace? You're looking at someone else's daughter. 
These are relationships God has created for his glory, and God has created marriage, one man and one woman in a relationship of purity and holiness and a covenant relationship of marriage. And when immorality, impurity, fornication, adultery, all those things creep in, it destroys relationships. These are not the things that make for peace. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying to one another. These are the things that destroy peace in relationships. But what are the things then that make for peace? If I'm going to pursue peace, I have to flee from those things, but now I have to pursue and chase after those things that are holy. Well, verse 12 answers that question. Colossians 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, he said, put these things aside. It's it's the language of of clothing. You know that Scripture uses this analogy. We, We don't want on the garments of sin. You lay those aside and you put on the garments of righteousness. You want to clothe yourself practically as you live the Christian life. You want to be clothed in righteousness. So he says, put on, clothe yourself with What? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. These are the things that make for peace in the body of Christ. Of course, with unbelievers as well. But right now, for this week, we're focusing on Peace within the church, among believers. We could just as well say, clothe yourself with Christ. Put on these godly virtues and graces. This is what you should look like. And they describe our Savior, don't they? Didn't Jesus have a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Is He not born with us? Has He not been kind to us and forgiven us of our sin. So we really could say, how do we pursue peace? We pursue Christ's likeness. This is a portrait of Christ. Put on Christ. Put on a heart of compassion. Jesus was full of compassion. It was an unmerited love from from Christ that led him to go to the cross to die in the place of sinners. The Bible tells us when he walked this earth, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. We're to put on a heart of compassion like our Savior or kindness. Kindness is a disposition that is sweet and kind and generous. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And again, this is a characteristic of God and our Savior toward us. Ephesians 2 verse 7. Through all eternity, He's going to show us the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're to put on humility. We have to actually pursue humility if we're going to have peace. Humility is an attitude of lowliness. It's so contrary to our culture in which everyone boasts and they're prideful and that scene is a virtue. And, and God says, no, it's the humble in heart. We have to humble ourselves if we're to be saved before God. We don't come boasting before God as if He owes us anything. He's the Creator, we're the creature. We come humbly and we come to Christ, not boasting in something that saves us, but 
believing and boasting in Christ and His cross. And now we live that in our relationships, an attitude of lowliness, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. A humble person seeks the interest of others. He relinquishes his own so-called rights. It says, put on gentleness. This is the outworking of humility. It's the opposite of harshness and brutality, being abrasive, belittling others, selfishness that demands and defends one's own perceived, perceived rights. No, instead, this is a person who, who is gentle and gracious with others. He says, put on patience, long-suffering. We, we could think of it as having a long fuse, Instead of a short fuse, something that that agitates us and we're not patient, we're quick to get angry. No, have a long fuse, be patient. And he says, bearing with one another. I mean, that simply means put up with one another. So how do we do that? Think of what God puts up with with us. (laughs) But he is kind and gracious and patient with us. And then it says, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Again, it points to Christ. Just as the Lord forgave you freely, mercifully. These are the things that make for peace. If we're going to pursue peace, then we have to purpose, actively pursue these things. And he says in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We have to be actively pursuing these things. It doesn't just happen. Again, we're sinners. And and if we're not actively pursuing these things that make for peace, then what's going to characterize us are the things that don't. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying, and the rest. Let me turn you to another passage, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Here we have a church in which there was dissension, there was disunity, there was a lack of peace. And and Paul addresses it in various ways. First of all, in Philippians 1 verse 27, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he's exhorting them to unity, to peace in the body of Christ, and he tells them to strive, but don't strive against each other. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. So there needs to be peace and unity in the body if we're going to do that. So what did they need to put away from them? And repent of if they were to pursue peace. Well, chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You have to die to self. Pursuing peace with all men means dying to self and selfishness and empty conceit. But instead, In humility of mind, seek after that which is for the good of others. We have to pursue that, just like we pursue holiness. Indeed, this is holiness in our relationship with others. And then he gives them the 
the ultimate example of that kind of humility, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would humble himself and become a man and lay down his life for sinners on the cross. How can we not pursue peace with those for whom Christ died when Christ humbled himself to reconcile us to him, to make peace in that relationship where there was hostility and enmity? He goes on and he gives examples. Paul himself is an example of how you pursue peace. He had died to self, so to speak, in chapter 2, verse 17. He's facing death for the sake of Christ, and he speaks of it in this way. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifices, service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He says, even in, in my service for your faith, if it means I'm martyred, if I'm killed for the sake of Christ, he does it with joy. Here's a man who has died to self. And then he speaks of Timothy in chapter verse 20, he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all, speaking of others, seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. So to pursue peace, you have to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of God's people. Epaphroditus in this passage is an example of that who risked his own life to bring a gift from the church at Philippi to Paul in prison. He was sick to the point of death, verse 27, for his service to God and to his church. Look in chapter 4 of Philippians. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. Here's how you're going to stand firm. Think perseverance. Here's how the church is going to persevere in the faith, together with one mind in unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's how you're going to stand firm. I urge you, Odia and Sintiki, two ladies in the church, to live in harmony in the Lord. Here's an example. He, he has to write. He speaks of disunity in the church, but here he mentions two ladies in which there was disunity, a lack of peace. And if the church is going to stand firm, he pleads with these two ladies who he says in verse 3, once shared in his struggle in the cause of the gospel. But now there's disunity. There's a lack of peace. And he is pleading with them to live in harmony in the Lord. And he asked this third party in verse 3 to come and help them, to help them to live in harmony. Brethren, we have to pursue peace. Sin has affected our relationships and even in the body of Christ. But we should be the example of that, pursuing peace and all the strife and enmity and hatred in the world. Those who've been redeemed by Christ and reconciled to God through Christ are the ones who then should be showing by our actions, by our pursuit of peace in the body of Christ, that we have been redeemed by His grace. When we come to Jesus Christ by faith, one of the areas of our lives where there is a noticeable Change. In fact, I would say immediate change in some way is in the area of relationships. In Titus chapter 3, he speaks to that. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. He says that's what we once did, but now remind them, you've been redeemed. And he goes on to say, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. What Paul is doing, he's appealing to salvation. If you've been regenerated, born again, made alive in Christ, and you're the recipient of God's mercy in Christ, then we need to be reminded, pursue peace with all men. Be subject to rulers and authorities, and be obedient. Don't malign anyone. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Show consideration for all men. We'll, we'll talk about next week what that looks like. Even with when there's persecution, as there was in the church at that time. But what he's appealing to them is, you've been born again by the grace of God. Therefore, your relationships should be changed, and you should be pursuing peace. The Apostle John says it this way, 1 John 2, verses 9 and 10. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. He may say he's in the light, but if his relationships have not been changed by the grace of God, not again that they're perfect relationships, we're sinners, but we're pursuing peace. We're pursuing those things that make for peace in relationships. We're seeking to love our brothers. If that's not happening, you might say you're in the light. He says, no, you're in the darkness until now. 1 John 3.10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Pursue holiness. Nor the one who does not love his brother. Pursue peace with all men. Back in Hebrews, in chapter 13, he's going to say it this way. Let love of the brethren continue. He doesn't say let it start. It's there. If we've been saved by God's grace and reconciled to God so that there's peace with God through Christ, then our horizontal relationships should be changed. And now we're seeking to lay aside those things that make for conflict, and we're pursuing peace. That's how we persevere in the faith. Some of the things that have been the most difficult for me, just candidly, and I think some of you understand this, and you've experienced this as well, the most difficult thing in the Christian life, and and some of you as well as I have have been through some difficult things, the death of a child. And I'll say to you in one sense, that's the most difficult thing I've ever been through. But I can say to you that that even in losing a child, I didn't come close to stumbling and drifting and falling away. The things that have been the most difficult for me in the Christian life, it's when those who name the name of Christ slander and cause disunity in the body of Christ. That's one of the most discouraging things. I'll, I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, one of the things that, 
me as a pastor and other pastors say are the hardest things that sometimes you just want to quote-unquote throw in the towel and say it's not worth it is because not of the, the hatred of unbelievers toward Christians, but professing Christians who, who slander and cause division in the church, and it's so discouraging. Listen, it can cause you to stumble. If we're not pursuing peace, the church is not going to be what God has called it to be. And there will be drifting and there will be falling away. Our relationships are necessary. If we're to persevere, we must pursue pursue peace with all men within the church. What is the state of your relationships in the body of Christ? And what are your relationships saying about the state of your soul before God? The all men of Hebrews 12 verse 14 includes those within the church. Pursue peace within the church. And in this way, we persevere in the faith. Again, next week, it includes unbelievers. We're to pursue peace even with unbelievers. How do we do that? That's very important to understand. Because if we don't, it can be a cause of stumbling. As we'll see very clearly next week. The Bible speaks a lot about this. But that's for next week. Pursue peace with all men. Are you pursuing peace and the things that make for peace in the body of Christ? Are you putting on the godly virtues from Colossians 3? Are you dying to self? Are you seeking that which is for the spiritual good of others? So that with one voice and one heart, we may together strive for the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and together persevere in the faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners still. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and Our sins are forgiven not by any works of ours, but through Christ who came to save by His death. We're resting in that. But Lord, we're still sinners, and we see that in our relationships, and we even see it in our relationships within the church. God, I pray that we might pursue peace with all men, including those within the body. God, I pray that we would be repenting of those things that make for a lack of peace, that are a cause for us to strive against each other rather than striving together for the gospel. Father, I pray that we would repent of those things that hinder us from persevering in the faith and bring dishonor to the message that we proclaim. We proclaim that indeed there is peace with God through the blood of Christ and yet for there to be such strife among those who claim to have been reconciled to you, Lord, we know that that's inconsistent for if we have been redeemed and we love you, we will love those who have been born of you. We will love your children. So Lord, I pray that we would pursue peace And Lord, in that way, encourage others and 
strengthen our own hands and hearts to run the race with endurance that is set before us, to persevere in faith together as a body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would do this ultimately for your glory and for your namesake and that the gospel would be proclaimed that others might see the love of those who name the name of Christ and know that we truly, indeed, are Christians by that love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.